I'm so excited that Carl Johnson is here today. I don't normally mention people by name up front. You know, I hate doing that. But, Carl, you'll see why as we move into today's message. We're going to be in John 7. Go ahead and turn there. We're wrapping up John 7. And moving at a Reformation pace. I have a question for you. Have you ever been in a position somewhere that suddenly you realized, oops, oops, yeah, how how was your recovery? Because mine was just splendid. I recovered just perfectly. Let me share with you a little bit about that. Uh, When I worked at Sports Chalet, had the old red and blues, you know, and uh, worked there for quite a long time. And, uh, you know, one of the best things about working sports chalet is later in life when you no longer work retail at Christmas, you can praise Jesus for about anything, you know. But I worked in the, in the general athletics area, and, I, and I, I specialized in water, water sports and then tennis. And so I was stringing a racket, you know, back where I, in my section of the store, when I was right next to fishing. And I always had this dream growing up as a kid about fishing and, and getting into fishing. And so I, I became pretty good friends with those guys because we never had any customers, so you just talk. And uh, so the next thing I know, the lead department head has bought me this really cheap fishing rig, and we start going out to the local lake at night to fish. And that's not highly recommended if that's your first year of marriage. Can I just say, guys that are maybe going to get married anytime soon or just got recently married, don't go out to a lake all night long for a dumb fish that you're probably not going to catch when you've got a beautiful woman at home waiting for you. You can send a negative message. After lots of counseling, we've moved on. (laughs) So I remember this one particular time we were going up to uh, uh, an area up by Gorman to fish, and, and I probably, I'd never stream fished before. And so I, I had my gear, and so we're walking along this dirt path, and we come to the first body of water, and nobody's there. So I just peel off, because I'm so excited. And I just told the guys, you guys go ahead, I'll catch up to you. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, uh, I'm going to tie my shoelace here. So they move ahead, and I'm like, yes, I've got this place all to myself. So I'm down there, and I'm fishing into this pool of water, and uh, yeah, you're not going to catch one every, you know. And then some guys walk by me, and they kind of stop and just stare at me. And they're shaking, and, and they move on. And I'm like, I'm jealous. And I keep throwing, and it's pretty much nothing. And, and some other guys come by, and, and, and this was a pattern for about an hour and a half in the baking sun. Eventually, my friends come by, and they look at me, and they say, you know, we were wondering when you were going to show up. Have you seriously been fishing here for the past hour and a half? And I said, yeah, but I haven't had much luck. And they just, they just started laughing at me, not with me, but at me. And they said, look, we need to explain something to you about fishing, you know, especially stream fishing. If you see a seven-inch crust of moss on the top of a body of water, that is dead water. And anything you might pull out of there, you wouldn't want to touch in the first place. So you kind of need fresh water feeding in and fresh water going out. And that's the kind of water you want to fish. I s- 
standing there understanding finally why I was receiving all these looks by legitimate fishermen. And I did my best to recover and I just said, I was giving you guys the good water. No, no, you weren't. You didn't know what you were doing. Well, there's a happy end to that story. We'll get to it at the end today. But, you know, when I started fishing, I didn't know anything about anything. And uh, I just saw a body of water and I'm thinking, there's probably fish in there. I'm going to be the first one to get in there. Sometimes we can do that in our spiritual walk. We can approach something we're so excited, but we really don't know much about what's going on. And so we waste our time in dead pools. And so this morning as we look at this passage, I'm going to do something very uncharacteristic. We're not going to really exposit the section. very beginning, we're going to move through it quickly, so we'll cover all the verses. But I'm going to come back to one specific theme that really speaks here. And it's the actual words of Christ, and and, and we'll get to it in a minute. But let's start in verse 37, um, and we're going to go verse 37 through verse 39. Looking again, where are we? Does anybody remember where we are in this story? Thoughts? Pondering? Reflections? Dead pools. Okay. Jesus has been at the temple. He went up for the festival of booths, and the festival of booths was part of the Jewish tradition, part of their uh, ceremonial actions throughout the year, like Passover. And so everybody would go up to temple, they would come from all over the place, Jesus was in the Galilee region, remember we met his brothers just a few weeks ago, and his brothers were heading up for the festival of booths, and they said, hey, why don't you come with us, why don't you show everybody who you are, why don't you proclaim, and he says, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to go, he meant, I'm not going with you. He had every intention of going. And he knew that if he went, people were going to try to kill him. Does this ring a bell? So he knew people were going to try to kill him if he went, but he still went. And so he sits down and he holds court every single day. There's eight days to the Festival of Booths. And, and I'll give you some breakdown of this in, in just a little bit about some of the ceremony that actually happens here. But let's start in verse 37, shall we? On the last day of the feast, the great day, the great day, right? Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. In other words, Jesus had not yet died or suffered on the cross and ascended, and the day of Pentecost had not yet happened. So what does all this mean? Jesus is the last day of the feast, it's the eighth day, and Jesus stands up, he's still there. Now we've spent three weeks listening to people that want to kill him. How many of you are going to continue to go to this festival when people really want to harm you? He's still there, he's still holding court. Not only that, he just stands up and says this prolific statement. Folks, there's something behind this statement that reaches beyond what we would think. Now, I'm going to use a modern-day hook so that you grasp our real-quick exposition of, of what we're looking at. You ready? Wednesday night, my nephew graduated from uh, middle school, Devin. Congratulations, Devin. And we went out and we celebrated. Devin shot way up 
in my estimation. I mean, I didn't know that you could as far as my estimation and, and appreciation of my nephew, but he just took an exponential bound because where he wanted to go for his graduation dinner was In-N-Out Burger. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Now, none of you are going to pay any attention to the rest of the sermon. All you're going to think about is In-N-Out. Sadly, that's true for some of you. So we went to In-N-Out Burger. So I'm going to use that, In-N-Out, that little statement to help you hold on and grasp how we're going to break this down in in this passage. So the first one is the inside out. We're at the wrap-up of the feast. We're going to talk about the inside out. Ready? Jesus foreshadows the coming of the Spirit. And that's verses 37 through 39 we just read. Let me give you a breakdown of what actually happens here. This is fascinating. What happens with this festival, what happens at temple is this. As part of the Jewish ceremony, if you were to go back and you were to look at what happened at the festival of the booze, we know. And so on each day, but the last, Zechariah 14.8 would be read at the beginning of the festival by the priest. Right at the beginning of the, of the ceremonies, he would come out and he would proclaim Zechariah 14.8. And he would do that on seven of the eight days. The eighth day, he would, he would not do that. Now, when, when does Jesus do this? When does he stand up and proclaim? The eighth day. Let me give you a little bit of understanding as to what happens here. This is, a, um, this is an interesting forecast. Zechariah 14.8 says this. So the priest would come out and he would say this. And this would start the ceremony of the festival. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. So what is this all about? On the last and greatest day of the feast, what does that mean? Let me break this down. This occurred on the eighth day of the feast where Jesus says something about the rivers of life. It's the climax of the festive occasion. And so during the festival of the tabernacles, the Jews celebrated the memory of how God protected their ancestors as they traveled through the wilderness to the promised land. That's what the festival of the booze was all about. Now this is interesting how this particular ceremony fits into connecting with what happened with their ancestry. And, and so they're celebrating this idea of God, God guiding them through the promised land, guiding them on their way, and then providing them with manna, and on one occasion, water from a rock. So this is why the priests would come out and celebrate this. If you go to Jerusalem, you find out that water is a huge commodity. We don't understand this. We don't get it because all we do is turn on a, or we go to our refrigerator and do this. Folks, when you have to walk miles to get you have to plan your day around water. It suddenly becomes incredibly valuable to you. So when the nation of Israel is out in the desert and they're dying of thirst and they're complaining to Moses, we're going to die out here, and then Moses strikes a rock and the water comes from the rock miraculously, it would make sense how in the festival of the booze, they would celebrate that very thing, the value of water and God's provision of water. It's just getting intriguing yet as to why Jesus speaks on the eighth day. So on the first day, the priest reads this. Every day uh, during this feast, except the last day, a priest stood in front of the temple with a golden pitcher of water and poured the water on a rock. 
This commemorated the water flowing out of the rock that gave Israelites water to drink. While the water flowed out, the people stand, uh, standing by and they chanted this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, Isaiah 12.3. They performed the ceremony each day of the feast except on the 8th when they offered public prayers for rain. So there's this major emphasis on water. But now the priest says what he says for seven days. Now he no longer says it. Jesus uses this opportunity to step up and say what? He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is flipping everything on its head. He's preaching radical information. He's using illusions. He's using metaphors. He's using symbolic imagery so that people will pay attention. He's using their history, their ceremony, their uh, festival, and he just jumps right at the top of it on the eighth day, and he trumps the whole thing. And he says, out of the heart flow the wellsprings of life. Fascinating. Why did Jesus do this? Well, he's offering new hope. You see, there's an abrogation of the law that Jesus does, and there's a new covenant that's going to offer life. Life to the full. Jesus offers new hope, exciting hope, eternal hope. He brilliantly uses their own ceremony of the recognition of God's provision to announce that it is now through Jesus Christ that living and giving water will now flow. Do you think he got their attention? Brilliant preaching. Brilliant preaching. He has been saying controversial things for a week now. And he has been flipping and abrogating the law on its head. He's trying to break through a shellac that has permeated the religious leaders and saying, This is dead. These are dead pools of water. I'm going to give you life. So what happens? Well, turn to verses 40 through 49, and let's look real quickly at those verses. It says this, When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. And when they say the prophet, folks, they're, they're talking about Messiah, Okay? Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village of where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in Him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. It's fascinating. Absolute power breeds what? Absolute corruption. So let's look at this second aspect of what we're going to examine this morning. As we do so, in using that inside out, now we're going to the outside in. In these verses, we're going to the outside in. The officers try to arrest Jesus, but they're amazed by his teaching. 
Folks, this is miraculous. Let's get into what exactly this means. Jesus' powerful teaching is causing division between people that have been erroneously taught. Right? People are proclaiming this has to be the Christ. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying by promising living waters. It was prophesied that they knew that the living waters, in fact, symbolized the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus actually saying? He's saying, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the people recognized that because they knew that the Messiah would bring them the Holy Spirit. So the crowd, the uneducated crowd, understands Jesus, but their fight is against the authorities. And here's why it becomes problematic. The text tells us we don't have to guess at it. They're saying, this has to be the Christ. This has to be the prophet. Everything I'm experiencing about who he is and how powerful and how tremendous his message is, it's life-giving. This is it. And others stand up and say, wait a minute. This guy comes from Galilee. We know that the Messiah comes from Bethlehem. That's absolutely true. They knew. But have you ever met somebody who twists the truth so that they get what they want? Folks, we know where Jesus came from. They didn't do their homework. They just start propagating the fact that he's from Galilee. So the officers are given their duty. Go, arrest. Now this is the temple guard. These guys work for the Pharisees and the priests. At the temple there would be Jewish guards that were not part of the Roman Praetorium or Antonio Fortress. And these guys kind of regulated what needed to be regulated within Jewish custom. So the Pharisees and the priests dispatched the guard and said, go arrest him. By the way, this is the same guard that goes and arrests Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so they go to arrest him. What happens? Well, there's division that's happening within the crowd. There's fear that's happening. We talked about this last week within the authorities. So they dismiss these folks. The guards are looking from the outside in. They're watching what's happening. But as we talked about it last week, 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not found in words, but in power. And as the guards arrive, they hear what Jesus is saying. And what is their response when they go back? By the way, if you are dispatched to do your duty and go arrest someone that your boss vehemently hates, in those times, not only would you be dismissed, but it would cost your family. So it was at great risk that these men decided not to arrest Jesus. There was a conviction in their heart that changed their attitude even to the point of great risk. They returned empty-handed and they're asked, what happened? We asked you to bring Jesus to us. And what was their response? We have never heard a man speak like this. Power. There is power behind what Jesus says. And the kind of power that will change a heart and a life and give it strength. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Lastly, the insider becomes the outsider. Nicodemus and groupthink, verses 50 through 52. And, and you know, we were talking about Nicodemus earlier <clears throat> uh, in chapter 3 of John. A lot of you are familiar with that. That's the whole thing about, again, water and life being born again. And Nicodemus is a lawyer. 
And he's part of the Sanhedrin. And as we look at it, let me read these last few verses. So part of these authorities that are gathered together that asked Jesus to be brought to him so they could kill him is Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus has had a personal encounter with Christ that seemingly he walked away, and I told you we would be getting to this back when we were in John 3, seemingly he walked away just confused. That there wasn't enough of a change. But here we see, in a moment where he watched the guard come back, and he knows what's going to happen to these guys, because they failed to follow through with the orders that were given to them at great risk, and he speaks up. Now, he's a lawyer, so he speaks. He kind of shrouds it in the law, doesn't he? He's very cunning and, and wise and graceful and very honored and an honorable lawyer, honorable man. Verse 50 says this, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Listen to their response. Folks, this isn't too far off from where we live right now. Matter of fact, it's very identical. They replied, Are you a Galilean too? When they say this, there's, there's nothing logical about this. They are doing everything they can to eviscerate Nicodemus. They are insulting him. They've gone straight to the insult card. To the, I'm going to rip you up, chew you up, and spit you out card. Let's talk about that in, in, in just a minute. But let me finish this. And they say, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Isn't it interesting that their own words should be used in their minds. They need to search and see. They need to search and understand that Christ was actually born in Bethlehem. So they're coming up with information that's erroneous. What do we do with this? Nicodemus shows himself. He speaks up. And he's the insider that now becomes the outsider. Because he spoke up. Nicodemus is part of the Sanhedrin. And he's led to speak in defense of the law and of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is leading him. He's growing in his understanding and affection for Christ. And that word and those powerful words that affected the, the guards are reaching his heart. The thing he didn't understand in logical terms, he's now experiencing and he's changing. Now he's going to hide within in the Sanhedrin still and he's going to pretend to be part of that good old boy club still because that's part of his life. But he can't remain quiet anymore. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. Even at great risk, he has seen and probably been emboldened by the guards. He's been listening to Jesus for seven straight days. And now he sees the guards come at great risk and they're probably going to lose their jobs. And I think Nicodemus was probably emboldened by that work of the Spirit through those guards. Thinking they're just guards, I should know better, I'm a teacher. So what does he do? He acquiesces to the law makes a lot of sense. But what does the Sanhedrin do to him? He's, de he's demonized and he's mocked. Can I just help you understand that we get an insight here that is very helpful for us when it comes to leadership. When leadership participates on this level, can I just tell you that they don't have an answer? This should be your first clue. 
Now, I'm not going to play Politico here. I'm not, gonna, I'm not espousing any views. This is just stuff that's in the news right now. So when necessarily you hear this week when it comes to all the stuff that's happening with the, the tapping of the phones and the rights to privacy and all that's going on there, and we hear a senator from our own state say, uh, you know what, we've been doing this for like five years. It's really not a big deal. Well, if we're suddenly finding out that, <laughs> that this is happening, and, and there are those that may think that this is a violation of our constitutional rights, that's an answer? We've been doing this for a long time. You know, why, why are you getting so upset? Folks, if, if you answered your boss that way, that wouldn't work. When we have another one of our leaders when appearing before Congress who's asking for answers to a, a, a scenario whereby American citizens die under attack, and they, at heightened voice, attack those who she's answering to, and she says, what's the big deal? This happened a long time ago. Get over it. Folks, when people talk in terms where they're supposed to give an answer and they suddenly move to that level, that means they've got something to hide. And that's what the... Well, okay, all right, settle down. <laughs> I'm going to transition this back into the story. That is exactly what's happening with the Sanhedrin. One of their own speaks up and says, hey, our law says this. And they know that the law says it. And they just got called on the carpet. And so what do they say? What are you, Galilean, too? Maybe we'll do to you what we're going to do to him. Isn't it interesting how groupthink works? Forget logic. Forget reason. Forget law. We really want to make something happen and someone suffer. We're going to go to the I will crush you mode. This is what's going on to the insider who now becomes the outsider. So this is the story. This is what's happened. Let's go back to what we really want to focus on, and we'll cover this quickly. This is where application happens, folks, and this is what I want you to focus on out of this message today. Primarily verses 37 through 38, the river of life. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is putting something out specifically, specifically towards Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. The people who heard what he was saying knew what he was saying. And he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Two things I want you to focus on there. Number one, heart and living. Most Roman towns, and we borrowed from this system, most Roman towns had what they called the cardo. And the cardo was the main street of the city. Bobby, remember this when we were touring Bet Shan, and they had the whole marketplace there, and there's that gigantic long road, and, and all the business would be located on that area. Whether it was Ephesus, whether it was Corinth, whether it was Rome itself, there was always a cardo. Cardo sounds like what word? cardiovascular. Cardo meant the heart. And from the heart springs or comes everything. Out of the heart 
flows who you are. Out of the heart flows your conviction. Out of the heart flows your joy. Out of the heart flows your sadness. Out of the heart flows your worry. Everything's central to the heart. So Jesus speaks to that and He says, what? If you come to Me, if you believe in Me, you will drink from Me, and out of that heart will flow what? Rivers of living water. Living water water. Folks, it's all about the flow. The intake is directly related to how healthy you are. As you study a river, you want to see where the water is flowing. And, and, and my man's going to hold me accountable right here. You, you, you correct me if I'm off on this. But I went fishing another time and I was, I was off to the side and I was, I was actually fishing downstream, Carl, and I was pulling upstream because I just thought that was easier, Right? And, and the other kind of fishing that I used to do was with a group of guys that would just go look for fish that were cruising on, on the shoreline. And you just throw a lure right in front of it and catch this giant fish. These were dumb fish, all right? These were scary dumb fish, but they like catching these fish. Now, if you're really going to fish, you have to understand the flow of the river. And so I went out one time when I was fishing this, this area called Frenchman's Flats, and I was right in the middle of the river and I was pulling, I was casting downstream and pulling up. No fish is going after something like that. And if they are, you don't want to touch them. Alright? Kind of a scary, weird fish. Something with three noses, maybe. When I stopped after an hour of not a single bite, knowing that there were fish in there, I started to think, what is happening with the flow? What is happening with the flow? You see, what will happen with fish is that they understand that the water brings them life. And they can't always sit in the main flow. They can't always sit right in that hard, hard section of the pool. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll kind of come off to the side where there's a slow eddy. You see, just underneath the log branch off to the right side, there on the, on the right screen, there's slower water sitting out there. So they'll rest over there for a moment in time, but if they want their nutrients, if they want what's living, they have to come out into the edge of the flow so they can get what they want. And so I started thinking about that, and I turned and I started reading the flow of the water, and I watched the flow, and just off this one rock, there was a deep, dark pool with a big, overhanging branch. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to change my direction. I'm going to cast upstream. I'm going to let my fly go right along the edge of that water because that's where the fish are going to think the nutrients are. And so I cast and I caught a tree. <laughs> so I pulled it back. I tied on another fly. I cast and it dropped in real nice. It's sitting there and it's peeling off and it just happened to peel right to the edge of where that was coming off the eddy. And all of a sudden this huge riser, all eight inches of him, came out of the water and grabbed that fly. And I was hooked. You see, the fish knew where the nutrients were. The fish were in the flow. They were in the living water, not the dead water. Folks, I've fished areas where there's dead water, and I've pulled some fish out of there, and it almost makes you believe in evolution. All right? The kind of things you see on some of those fish is scary. That's a dead pool. That's not what Christ is talking about. To be engaged with the Holy Spirit is to have rivers of life coming out of you. Is that how you feel? Or are you sitting in dead pools because it's safe? Many of us want to sit in the calm water. 
It's warm. It's tranquil. But guess what? There's no oxygen in that water. And so slowly you start growing sores on your back and you wonder why you're not healthy. You become lethargic and inactive and you wonder why you're not healthy. Because you're not willing to get out, be filled with the Spirit and get the nutrients and the flow that you need. And that's what Jesus is promising here. If you sit in the perceived safety of the shallow, still pool, you'll become diseased. There's also the need for an outflow. Anybody who understands water in a river, there's a lake. We went up, my son and I and a couple other guys went up to this great hike up by Mount Whitney to the Cottonwood Lakes. It's a seven-mile hike in and a seven-mile hike out. We did it in one day. My son hasn't forgiven me yet. But up there is the treasured golden trout which is select, I think, mostly to California. That's some safety language there because I wanted to say only in California. But it's like the coveted fish is to catch one of these. And so my son is out there fishing. A bunch of other guys are out there fishing. I kind of break away and I've got my waders and I kind of wade out into this marshy area because there's this rock at the edge of this water that I can see flowing. And it's still a lake, but guess what? It's not a dead lake. There's fresh water pouring in from the higher elevation and there's water pouring out. So it's constantly exchanging. It's constantly exchanging. And guess what? It's being fed by something that's pouring out above it. It's being fed by something that pours out from above it. And so as I'm standing on this rock fishing, all of a sudden Dylan shows up, age seven, and he's just standing like a, like a puppy over there on the shoreline. Come on, Dad. I want to go out there on the rock with you. Come on, Dad. I'm fishing. I'm a, I'm a good dad. Okay, all right. So I hike all the way back. I put him on my shoulders. And we hike all the way out to the rock. And we're standing on a rock. So I start talking to him about, now this is what you're looking for. This is how to read the water. And if you do this right, and I cast like this, and I said, now that's a horrible cast. So I pulled it back again. I said, now you've got to present it slow. And then now you're watching this drift. And when it hits this one ripple over here, that's what I'm hoping. And, 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 and boom! Folks, I couldn't have scripted that any better. I was a hero in my boy's eyes right then, right there. I don't know what I'm talking about. Are you kidding me? My son's like, wow, Dad, that's awesome. And I'm like, I'm exhausted from this fish. Let's go back in, son. Quit while we're ahead, right? Folks, there's got to be an outflow. What is your outflow? You want living water. Don't keep it to yourself. You've got to flow out. Pour yourself into other people around you. We have a summer explosion of opportunities for us to give. Right now, we've got guys up in there. We've got people over there pouring, 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 pouring. What are we talking about? Are we talking about water? What are we talking about? The Holy Spirit. You have to have a fresh intake that's giving you the nutrients. But you also have to pour out so that you're more dependent again on what's coming in and then what's coming out. And you've got to get out of the safety of the calm little green pool that's giving you disease and it's making you lethargic. Jesus promises this. Because what had happened before was just a green dead pool. And Jesus says, that's not what I want for you. That's not what the Father wants for you. So I'm bringing the Holy Spirit. And if you'll get out of the pools and you'll get into the edge of the stream, it's a little hard, but you're going to get nourished. You're going to get nourished. It's about the flow. Well, how do we put this into practice? Well, let's go back and let's, let's break this down. I'm, we're going to look at the demonstration of what God does 
through all of these things, and then I want you to put this into practice. You ready? What does life look like? Well, the river of life is demonstrated in Christ. How? He proclaimed and prophesied truth. The Holy Spirit prophesies truth. So if someone comes up to you and tells you, well, the Holy Spirit told me that you're supposed to do such and such or such and such, and that doesn't come true, I don't think I'd necessarily listen to that person anymore. I don't think they're listening to the Holy Spirit. That's a dead pool. But if the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you a leading conviction, guidance through the Word of God, it will speak to truth. It will always be about truth. It may challenge your system of thinking, but it will always be about truth. And that is what's good for you. That's what's nutritious. So number one, go after that which is true. Stop living with the things that are hurting you, that are diseasing you. And look it up, that's a word. The Holy Spirit is dynamic, it's not static. So when you are given these truths, listen to the Spirit's leading on these truths. Live in them, by them, and for them. Secondly, the river of life is demonstrated in the officers. They acted from their heart and they disobeyed their orders. They're risky. You know, sometimes God gets hold of you and He asks you to do something and you're listening to that truth and you can't walk away from it. My family would not be here unless we practiced that. We would not be in Concord, we would not be your pastor if we didn't listen to the Holy Spirit and the truth of what He was giving to us. We were happy, we were in our nice flow, everything was great. And the Holy Spirit said, I've got a new flow for you to be part of. And we're thriving because we listened and we acted. Was it risky? You bet it was risky. It was incredibly risky. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. The officers risked everything because they said what? No one has ever spoken like this man. Have you been absolutely flipped on your head because of the words of Jesus Christ? Because of the truth of Christ? I hope so. The Holy Spirit strengthens you and guides you to truth. Just like He did the officers. So if you're equivocating a little bit on truth, if there are pockets of resistance in your life and you know you need to respond to the truth of what God has for you, can I encourage you, the Holy Spirit will give you the strength to act on that truth that you know. Just like He did these officers. The Holy Spirit radicalizes you. Now I know this term is getting kind of funky. And, and there's some radicalization that's going on right now. With No, 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 she's fine. That's pretty radical, seeing that precious little girl in that gigantic man's arms. <laughs> that is radical. We have taken the term radical and we have lumped it with a very negative thing in today's terms. Folks, being radical because the Holy Spirit's led you to be radical is a good thing. Radical just simply means to do something outside of what your norm is, and we are comfort creatures very often. So when you feel that tinge of, hey, maybe I should do something. we got six guys that are doing something radical this summer. They're taking their vacations to go serve God somewhere else. They don't necessarily have a bunch of money that they can put together. But guess what? This total cost of this trip is about 18000 Guess 
Guess how much we've got in already? We've got about 11,000 in. Now we still have a need for $4,500 and we've got two weeks counting. But we believe God's going to come through because we know that the Holy Spirit has led us. Has led us to do this. Radical? You want radical? Got 10, 11 people in here learning CPR training. That's not so radical. Unless you do it wrong. It could be really radical. Learning CPR training for lifetime. A lifetime. Such a fantastic idea. It's great, Pastor. You guys run it. No. You guys come. Come. Watch. Just swing by on any given week. We had a question a while ago. Hey, where's our enrollment? This time last year, we had 17. This time, our, our beginning year, we had, I think, about 10 signed up. Janine, how many do we have signed up right now? Close to 38. We had over 15, I believe, come to us after camp started last year. We have prayed according to the Spirit, believing and stepping out radically. We're not funded. We're not funded. I told the staff, I, I admire you. You're stepping out in the Spirit because you've decided to take on a job that is much like mine. There's no guarantee of being paid. <laughs> it all depends on, on the Holy Spirit moving people. And guess what? Just like it happened the first year, just like it happened the second year, we are going to give glory to God come August 9th. Because we're going to see transformed lives. Because people have stepped up and they've become radical because of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, the river of life is demonstrated in Nicodemus. He spoke in defense of Jesus to his detriment. The Holy Spirit provides bravery. Do you have a task that you're facing that scares you? Is it hard for you to think about getting out of the safety of the nice warm pool and moving into the current where you're going to have to work? The Holy Spirit will provide that bravery. The Holy Spirit stands in the face of rhetoric. Truth will always undress mindless rhetoric. Chapter 12 of John 12 speaks to Nicodemus and where he landed. We believe, most scholars believe, says this, and we'll get to it next year sometime. <laughs> Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Nicodemus had a hard time. But you know what? What we read today is that he spoke up because he was led by the Holy Spirit. See, it was to his detriment. In the end, we see Nicodemus buy the oils and the spices to care for Jesus' body. We don't know exactly what happened with this man, but I believe that the Holy Spirit led him to speak in defense of Jesus. It's a river of life. The Holy Spirit leads you to speak out. Can I encourage you this summer? Speak out. We're giving you so many opportunities every Wednesday night. Starting with this Wednesday night. You're going to have incredible opportunity to share with people. This morning, 
if you don't know this Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you? This is how you can know Him. Remember going back to verse 32, 33. I think it was that. But where Jesus says, if anybody comes to Me and what? Believes in Me. Believes that I am the Son of God. Believes that I will provide salvation for him. If anyone believes in Me, he will be given what? A river of life. Flowing. Can I encourage you? Pursue Christ. Get out of the safety of the pools. Move into the flow. Get vitalized. Get nutrition. Get into a place where there's an intake. And then start giving it out to others. That's what the river of life is all about. I'm going to have Virginia come up and give a real quick reflection and pray for the offering. This morning, thank you for being here. We are so blessed to have each of you as part of our church, our church family, our congregation. If you're visiting this morning, we take offering as part of our worship and, and an act of worship. Don't feel under any compulsion whatsoever. Um, you can just enjoy quietly uh, the music that we're going to have um, by the worship band after, uh, after Virginia speaks. Virginia? That means you have to sit and listen to the whole thing and stay focused, which is hard for me, but I did. So I, I think our message today really had two, two main points, right? Inside out and outside in. Inside out is something that I've been thinking about a lot because of membership class. The whole subject of the Holy Spirit came up in membership class. And it's about our flesh versus our, our spirit, the Holy Spirit in us. And I don't understand why we fight so hard to stay in the flesh and stay in the dead pool. Like we're afraid of the power and the freedom and the joy of living life in the Holy Spirit, so we stay in our fleshly conduct. And we, even when we say, oh, I'm a Christian and I've got the Holy Spirit and I'm, I'm living life and I've got all that, we still hold certain pockets, certain parts of our conduct. And we, I'm going to control that because I, 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 I can do that better than God or something. I don't understand that. The Holy Spirit is where the, the joy, where life has a purpose, has a meaning. It's where the power and joy is. And so we stay in our flesh out of fear. I just don't understand that. And then if it's our job to show people, we have to be in the Spirit because what else are we going to show them? And then the outside in... You know, we've got this job to show people Jesus, and we're fighting the powers. We're fighting misinformation. Really, I think that comes mostly from the media. Don't tell me to stay away from politics, Pastor. <laughs> you know, we've got these lies, just like they lied about Jesus being from Galilee. He wasn't from Galilee, but yet they prefaced everything they said because they're afraid of the truth. Corrupt power is afraid of the truth. And Jesus was not from Galilee, but if you were there in those days, it would be a given that he was. Just like Christians are bigots. And Christians hate homosexuals. And Christians this and Christians that. It's a given in our culture. Things about us are given in our culture that just plain aren't true. And that takes away from our message. That makes people not believe us. Just like it made those people not believe that Jesus was the Christ. So what do we do? We, we go back to our fear in our flesh and say, well, heck with them. 
gosh darn liberals or whatever it is. No. If Nicodemus was compelled to speak out, we don't even know where he stood. We know where we stand. I think we need to speak out. We need to obey the Lord, be in the Spirit, and, and don't remain quiet. Because how else will those that need to know the truth hear the truth if we just sit back and say, well, if they think I'm a bigot, why then so be it. I'm not. So that's what I, I got. Stay strong, be powerful, you know, in the Spirit. Good enough? <laughs> All right, now I'm going to pray for the offering. <laughs> okay. Dear Heavenly Father, hallowed be your mighty name. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a church where we can pool our resources and all of our resources to, to further your kingdom, to strengthen and support your kingdom. Please be with our leaders. Give them wisdom how to use everything that we have to give, our dollars, our talents, our skills, to serve you, to, 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 to lead us to where you want us to be. Please accept this offering with love. In Jesus' name, amen.